Okay, so this is from the Sarah book. A few weeks later, I burnt this Bible. I looked over at my friend Chris and said, Hey man, we should burn a Bible. Of course, we've been fucking around with this for a while now. A month before, we were going through the Taco Bell drive-thru and our order total came up $6.66. So every time I went out with friends and wanted to freak them out, I'd start talking about how I felt the devil was after me. I'd say, like seriously, I think the fucking devil is after me. And I'd stop at Taco Bell and order my devil order and it'd come up $6.66 just like always and everyone would go, holy fuck, and lose their shit. Maybe this was a sign. Maybe Satan was trying to tell me something. to stuff and there's like a whole bunch of stuff you can do on the internet it's really got to get out there and check it all out it's, the, vet, the net is vast and infinite uh, we're going to be talking about the Sarah book by Scott McClanahan and it's out on Tyrant Books which as you may remember if you like follow literary doings and goings uh, they requested that uh, aid Authors who are represented by agents no longer send them books. I'm not sure if Scott McClanahan has an agent. Um, and there was a whole, there was a whole thing. It got to be a thing, and it shouldn't be a thing. They're a publisher; they can do what they fuck they want. As long as they're not ripping people off, that's fine. Uh, but then the publisher himself decided to put post pictures of his balls on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is not a good place. Uh, but he's retweeted me a few times, so thanks, uh, Jean Carlo. What's your name, man? Hold on, where is where is he? Where's yeah, Jean Carlo did Trapano. Thanks for the retweets. Um, nice balls, just quality pair of balls you got there. You know, not too big. Um, I'm not saying they're small. Not, I'm saying two. Two is the important word there. So Sarah book. Um, okay, so Scott McClanahan, if you're not aware, he's uh, from West Virginia. That tends to come up a lot in his uh, work. He's uh, gets quite a following as, as a performer. We, there's not like a whole lot or even any uh, contemporary authors apart from Scott McClanahan who have reputations as being a good live show. Uh, I s tell a lie, Chuck Polinick is apparently a uh, fun live, because uh, he like throws fake blood at the audience and stuff, kind of grosses them out, and people have, like ran out of his readings, fainting and screaming and stuff. 
Um, Scott McClanahan is just more, more, more of like a, more of like a punk vibe to it, more like rock and roll kind of vibe. He's got a, in the vague proximity of the whole alt lit thing, but that's not even a thing anymore. You know, uh, there's, you know, I'm sure Taolin will have another book one of these days, but alt lit is not a thing. And Tyrant Books are not an alt lit publisher, and Scott McClanahan is not alt lit. If you want to genre this, and you don't want to do literary fiction because that's because it's very much not liter um, literary fiction. Oh, it it is. What am I saying here? Okay, it's not literary fiction as it's practiced nowadays. As it, it's not about middle class white people come to terms with things, even though it is. It is literally about a middle class white person coming to terms with something. Maybe a lower middle class white person, but still. He's white and middle, and generally in the middle class. He doesn't work in a factory, he's a college professor. Um, although he is a college professor in West Virginia, which is pretty um, deprived part of the world. I think it's got the uh, highest number of opioid deaths at the moment. Um, opioids have come up in this. Um, this is a, a booze book. But um, yeah, if you want to genre this, then I'm going to make up a new genre right now and call it Dirtbag Lit. And I'm going to explain that term a little better later. But um, let's let's do two, two things, which is the only real two things you should do when you're talking about any sort of uh, text with a capital T. You talk about what it does and how it does it, then you talk about what it doesn't do and what it leaves out and why. And what it does is it's a really harrowing, raw, incredibly funny. I mean, I haven't laughed as much at a book since I was a kid reading Terry Pratchett. And I would like buckle over reading Terry Pratchett. I would cry in the middle of quiet reading time in classes reading Terry Pratchett stuff. Uh, Sarah book doesn't quite get me there because I'm jaded, but it's funny as fuck at times. And... Um, it's quite possibly autobiographical, and I've, I've read it, a few interviews with uh, McClan Mr. McClanahan. I'm calling him Mr. He's older than me and more distinguished, so he gets a, he gets a Mr. Um, and it seems to be um, it seems to be biographical, autobiographical, sorry, and uh, it seems to have happened to a lady named Juliet, not Sarah. But otherwise, this is all stuff that's happened. Um, it sits in the fiction section and I don't mind that. Put, basically put it where, where you want. Um, in one interview I think with Hobart, um, he says the difference in non-fiction and fiction is about $3.50. And uh, that's probably true. And I don't think this would have... this wouldn't do what it does if it was in the non-fiction section. It would read far too much like a misery memoir of the kind that were popular a little while back and have kind of faded out at the moment. Um, it would be it would be Oprah worthy stuff if it wasn't quite as funny and nasty. Um, but it's in, it's in the fiction section if you want to go check it out in your local chapters. There'll be you know, fiction, then you can buy a pillow that says it's nine o'clock in your chapters or Indigo, 
Um, I don't know which ones you have in the States, but... Uh, so, it's about his divorce from a lady named Sarah. And like I said, in real life, probably Juliet, but we'll call her Sarah. Uh, he, Scott McClanahan of the book, fictional Scott McClanahan, has two kids. He is married to Sarah. They've had a, a, really, a really nice uh, romance. You know, it's like a, there's a meat cute in this. Uh, it, it's not, you know, Nora Ephron quality meat cute, but it's, it's pretty decent. It's heartwarming for a little while there. And it bounces back between uh, the their early days of their relationship and uh, the divorce. It's kind of half of it is like a divorce procedural. It's like here are all the moves in a divorce. Here's the big breakup. Here's getting suicidal. Here's living in a Walmart parking lot. Here's going to courthouses and doing parenting classes. And finally, here is we have a divorce. And then later. Spoilers, uh, here is, I've got a new wife now, my ex-wife is married to someone else, and we're all having a barbecue, because everything's okay now. And, um, yeah, the, the way they get to that okayness is through, yeah, a suicide attempt using Tylenol, and possibly Pepto-Bismol, um, living in a Walmart parking lot, uh, living in a crappy apartment with a guy named Chris who is apparently a real real person and is in Scott McClanahan's band, the Holler Boys. Like hollers and shouting. Um, and yeah, he, and being in that crappy apartment and finding some kittens out back and then accidentally running over a kitten and probably all the other kittens are dead because he mentions it being snowing and the kittens don't actually respond well to that. Um, it's like, you know, you know, cats and water, like, snow is just lots of water, and it's hard and cold. Uh, little pro tip there for, uh, you know, if Scott McClanahan ever finds some kittens again. And it's, uh, it's really, I was going to say beautifully written just then, but it's not beautifully written at all, like, not even a tiny bit. It's really well written. It's, uh, I don't want to say minimalistic, because it, it, it definitely isn't minimalism in that kind of like um, Raymond Carver kind of way. Um, it's gets a lot of um, comparisons to Bukowski, even on the back cover. Uh, a guy named Carl Tara Greenfield, who's written something called The Subprimes, and read or heard about that. But, um, yeah, I can see the Bukowski in this, and uh, I, I haven't read anything by the venerable Mr. Bukowski since I was about 15 years old and working my way through every book that I could find that was kind of cult or transgressive in some way. And I really wish I'd just been a little, you know, a little smarter at the time. Um, but Mr. McClanahan, despite being kind of a raging alcoholic through pretty significant part of his life, apparently, uh, is a pretty good class classicist. He talks knowledge be about uh, Virgil and St. Aquinas and Augustine, sorry, St. Augustine, and uh, has apparently on the evidence of this book got 5,000 books in his collection. Maybe he's 
got a few more with his advance off this one. But he's, he's not a dumb guy. Um, and I wish I could be a little more... I wish I could have at least read, like, Hemingway or something when I was a kid, you know? Instead, I read uh, Beat Writers, which is just such a cliche. Obviously, Catcher in the Rye, because, you know, you kind of have to. Uh, Chuck Polinick, which, horrible mistake. Um, I read uh, the Satanic Verses just because of the whole fatwa thing. Like, I, I would have read a grocery list if someone had told me it was controversial. And uh, and I read Bukowski, um, because he's a, yeah, he's definitely a cult writer. And, yeah, I, I because I've been reading stuff like William Burroughs at the time, and uh, Ian Banks, and J.G. Ballard, people like that, um, something like Bukowski, which is like so down-to-earth and grounded, uh, didn't quite hit me, you know? It's like I'd been eating all this spicy food forever, and now I'd gone back to mayonnaise. And maybe if I if I go back and read it again, I'll find it's just as good as the Sarah book or um, the other stuff that uh, Scott McClan has read, which I haven't, and I probably will at some point. Yeah, maybe um, Bukowski's ongoing literary legacy is well deserved, and maybe he is just a one of these writers that young men find who gives them an excuse to kind of be assholes and drink and treat women badly and because men like that so much he has a reputation he probably doesn't deserve I definitely don't think that's going to be the case of Scott McClanahan I don't think anyone could come away from the Sarah book and think that drinking and treating women like dirt is a good idea although you know you'd, you'd think people who watch Scarface would realize that being drug dealers is bad idea, but every drug dealer in the world loves that film. Well, same for Wall, uh, Wall Street, and people actually on Wall Street. Um, it's, yeah. Like I said, it's uh, it's a rough book. Um, the very first chapter, if you don't count the little uh, prologue, is Scott McClanahan drunk driving 170 miles an hour and just a few feet from the other cars, and oh, look, he's actually just got his kids in the back of the car as well. I mean, yeah, that's probably a real life story as well. And um, he gets pulled over by a cop, cop doesn't care, and uh, then he's burning Bibles. The bit I read is from chapter two. And um, now the prose, it, um, it's generally really, really good. There's a back cover talks about a distilled mountain twang to it, uh, a language somewhere between romantic poetry and a distilled mountain twang. I'm not seeing the romantic poetry in here, and maybe I don't, maybe I don't know what a West Virginia accent is. I'm just imagining the generic Southern accent. West Virginia probably isn't even the South, but um, some of the some of the prose comes off as kind of. Um, almost childlike. And there's a... I'm trying to find an example of it here. There's a lot of like repetition of like and, 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 no commas. And um, a lot of these like impressionistic details. Uh, it's like the sign next to the window said no firearms allowed. 
just these little bits that individually don't really mean anything at all. And sometimes even in the context of the whole thing, they don't mean anything. Um, they get us into dude's head and yeah, they're impressionistic. They're, they're little paint strokes that just make up the whole thing. But uh, it's, and there's, um, yeah, the, the pros I don't mind. There's one little snag I have with this and okay, so every chapter in this is pretty short. Maybe the longest is 10 pages and every single one could be improved if you just knocked off the last paragraph. Uh, so in chapter, oh, they're not numbered. Uh, basically just before the beginning of part two, um, I just sat and watched her and I wondered if she was going to make it. And I said, I think she's going to make it, but I stopped talking and then I just watched her run. I knew one thing for sure, none of us ever make it in the end. None of us ever make it in the end. Come on, come on guy, it's like every other paragraph in what is, whichever chapter there is this is pure fucking gold. And yet the last paragraph of every chapter is always this like miniature cowboy speech. And it's, and even the, um, the prologue, there's only one thing I know about life. No, don't do that. There's only one thing I know about life. If you live long enough, you start losing things. Things get stolen from you. First you lose your youth, then your parents, and then you lose your friends. And finally, you end up losing yourself. <laughs> Come on. That's asinine. That's, like, so much of this is so fucking good. But then there's these individual paragraphs of, like enlarged Pinterest memes and yeah they they always have this weird like non sequitur quality where if you actually like sit down and puzzle out what it's saying it's either super banal or it doesn't actually make any sense there's a few exceptions though so one chapter uh, has a crossword puzzle but there's actually no crossword it's um it's kind of kind of good actually and it's uh, six across is the name of your first love. Seven down is the name of the one who broke your heart. Two across is what we have lost. Be a nice little poem. And I think he does poetry sometimes. Uh, at least as part of his performance stuff. And it's uh, yeah, not every chapter ends badly like that, but enough of them do that it just needs a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth, you know? Um, so much of this is so fucking good. I mean, I'm just flicking through. You might even be able to hear it. That's good little yeah, sound effects. And um, yeah, there, there, there's no individual uh, sentences of solid gold that you want to print out and you put it on your cubicle wall, you know. But because uh, it's semi-minimalistic and it's all very um, flat and underexposed and yeah it really really tightly controlled so you're not gonna you're not gonna find some little great bit of wisdom but you it is constantly like really really high quality now he mentions in an interview having some sort of um beef falling out with um mr giancarlo of uh, tyrant books over the something in the book 
And um, I don't know why that's a. I wonder why that's something someone at Lit Reactor knows to ask in an interview. But um, but they do. And uh, so I, I think this was and it was a long time since his last book that this came out. And I think it was it's obviously been uh, fussed over. And in a good way. It's not like overproduced or over edited to the point where all the colour comes out of it. Because uh, it's it's all colour. Like I said, it's impressionistic. It's every word is a brushstroke, you know? But it's uh, you can tell he took a damn long time working on this. And it's only, what, 200-something pages? 230? Yeah, two, 233. And um, it's got pictures as well. And, um, yeah, the, the prose and the way it's all done is brilliant. Just there's... It's a little cowboy speech at the end of the at the end of chapters. If you cut those, you'd have the perfect book, you know. Because there's, there's literally no other like clunkers in this. There's no other parts where it's um, where you just get out of the flow and you because of something so stupid in the text. And literally, like every book in the world has those almost, and this doesn't. Yeah, like I say, really, really fucking good book. Just on a like craft level, yeah. I'm sure like yeah. people could study this. Uh, I don't want to be like you know they're going to be reading this in schools in a hundred years time, but you could give this to a creative writing student and they'd get better at writing. I feel like I'm better at writing having read this. I feel like the next time I put pen to paper, it'll be just that little bit better for reading this era book. And I might give myself a bit more leeway in being raw and being truthful. You know, I was thinking earlier how Scott McLaren has this cult following. He has uh, articles on him in Rolling Stone in every literary magazine there is. And so he, he's semi-big deal for a writer of literary fiction. And the level of A, craft, and B, like raw emotional honesty and uh, just being down to fucking earth and which you, you there are down to earth sci-fi books you know it doesn't have to be kitchen sink stuff this is but it doesn't have to be and just being a ordinary fucking guy or girl you know, that that should be the absolute minimum scott mcclanahan shouldn't be the best writer in the world he should be the, the mint. He should be the worst. Like, just to get your book published, you should be able to do stuff as good as Scott McClanahan does, consistent. Because that's what we're lacking. You know, we have wealthy middle-class professionals uh, writing books about usually other wealthy middle-class professionals. Uh, they're very. They don't want to rock the boat at all. I'm not saying this is some like revolutionary call to arms or anything, but it'll at least make you feel something. And um, there's this poem by Charles Bukowski, of all people, and it's called uh, The Rape of the Holy Mother. Hold on, I'll just bring it up. So this is, uh, yeah, Rape of the Holy Mother by Charles Bukowski. This is 
what I thought of when I read Sarah Book. <clears throat> to expose your ass on paper terrifies some, and it should. The more you put down, the more you leave yourself open to those who label themselves critics. They are offended by the outright antics of the maddened. They prefer their posy to be secretive, soft, and nearly indecipherable. Their game has remained unmolested for centuries, is being the temple of the snobs and the fakers. To disrupt the sanctuary is to them like the rape of the Holy Mother. Beside that, it will also cost them their wives, their automobiles, their girlfriends, their university jobs. The academics have much to fear, and they will not die without a dirty fight. But we have long been ready. We have come from the alleys and the bars and the jails. We don't care how they write the poem, but we insist that there are other voices, other ways of creating, other ways of living the life. And we intend to be heard and heard and heard in this battle against the centuries of the inbred dead. Let it be known that we have arrived and we intend to stay. Okay, so you can call that a little overdone, maybe. And I didn't like the word antics in there. I've never liked that word. But as as a manifesto for this kind of literature, this dirtbag lit that I'm coining right now, uh, I think you're not going to get much better. And yeah, that's... That's kind of totally where we're at right now. And I say that as someone who's done work at publishing companies, like big ones, like big six, two big, two of the big five. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we are. Most, and I'm gonna piss off my friends by saying this, uh, a lot of writers are tenured academics. Uh, they have, careers, riding on not being uh, a kind of person like Scott McClanahan, who does crazy shit and who does expose his ass on paper. And I realized that uh, at least during the time period that the Sarah book covers, he was a, a writer at uh, Berkeley, Beckley College. And um, yeah, a, a lot of people go into academia so they can write because they can do a few classes a week teaching kids to just not be as awful as they are at writing and it won't work. And they'll get enough time and a little bit of money to actually work on their own novels. Or they work in publishing. Uh, that's something Mr. Bukowski left out. Maybe it wasn't the case in 1982 when it was written. It's uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of people in publishing, if you uh, scratch the surface, they've been slush bar readers, or yeah, they've been editorial. I was reading, uh, it was in the millions, uh, this interview with a guy who they kept insisting on calling an outsider, and he worked at the fucking Paris Review. That's like as insider as it is humanly possible to be. That's like wrapping yourself up in a book. And yeah, that, and yet he was called an out, outsider. They literally never explained why. And yeah, there's that's the game that has remained unmolested for centuries. But let's instead of 
begin my peeves with the literary scene now. Let's listen to some music. Uh, I'm going to play for you Twilight Fauna. It's a band from Appalachia, same place as Scott McClanahan. I very much doubt he knows who they are. Uh, it's a kind of atmospheric black metal project uh, that also will play kind of like this, like, eerie, twangy, like, on the porch in the evening by yourself kind of guitar, kind of country thing. And um, it's both sides of uh, Twilight Fawn are brilliantly executed. Uh, the, the atmospheric black metal side is as good as Wolves in the Throne Room, some other, like, weirdos from, like, a weirdo raw community. Um, or Panopticon, um, whose album uh, Kentucky you should really check out because it's, I'd, I'd say a classic. I'm gonna put that out there. It's a, it's a, it's a classic in American black metal, but it's a fucking classic, and it's uh, got some bluegrass in there. And um, yeah, Twilight Fauna. So the song is called Across the Blue Ridge. It's classic country. It's old timey mountain music. It's folky, it's, it's a billion miles away from what country music has become, and let me tell you, living in Calgary, which is like North Texas, uh, I'm exposed to a lot of shit, shit country music. Like, there were about four record radio stations that played nothing but terrible, shitty country music. And this is not it. This is Twilight Fauna with Across the Blue Ridge.
That was Twilight Fauna with Across the Blue Ridge. Uh, check them out. Um, I don't think it's on a record label. I think they're unsigned, which is pretty dope. And um, they should be signed. They should be signed to P Profound Law or someone big, because it's just so fucking good. Uh, I mean, they've got write-ups here by Noisy, Nine Circles, Pop Shifter. But Noisy is big. Um, okay. Let's talk about dirtbags and the women who love them. Let's talk about my appellation, uh, my me calling this book Dirtbag Lit, and what that word dirtbag means. Because I think it's, uh, I think it's a significant political one right now, and like I said at the early into the episode, the two things you can do when you're talking about text with capital T um, is mechanics of it, what it does and how it does it, and what it doesn't do and why it might not do that. And uh, everything else is frippery. There's a bit in um, the Sarah book where he talks about his, uh, his students and how they don't want to really talk about books, they want to talk about whether they like the characters. Yeah, that's that's the... Unless there's a, a damn good reason to talk about that, I'd, I'd say just leave that out there. And yeah, go over all my old episodes and see all the times I've talked about whether I like characters. Because um, it's a... I think it's a natural, normal human thing to do that, but it's probably not the most helpful thing to be moving literature forward. Um, and for what it's worth, I like Scott McClanahan in this, even though if he was real, I'd be like punching him and trying to get him into rehab. And I guess he was real at one point. Um, so, yeah. What is left out of the Sarah book is kind of West Virginia, Appalachia. Uh, he wrote a book previously called Crapalachia. Nice, by the way. And uh, I'm guessing that and his short stories go more into detail of, of the place. And because of um, because of the election, because of coal miners, how they were used as like this political bargaining chip uh, that all these poor white male coal miners uh, were being um, put out of their jobs by the liberal elites who want us all to driving Priuses and you know you don't want to make all these poor people uh, unemployed do you so obviously you've got to vote for tax cuts and such and obviously the uh, coke is it coke or cock brothers um, they're coal guys they've got interest in this area I'm sure and uh, yeah they've kind of mobilized this whole idea of the West Virginian coal mining man, usually an older white 
old white guys in their 50s, been working down the mines all their lives, and yeah, and they're trying to call out the Democratic Party or the left or whatever by saying, okay, you're the party of the working class, well, these guys are working class, and you want them to all be unemployed. And uh, it's it's pretty um, transparent stuff, but it's hard to argue against, which is unfortunately a way a lot of right-wing arguments work. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of that in the Sarah book. That's probably just because he's kind of middle class. Uh, he's college professor, his uh, Sarah is a, a nurse. There's a lot of really cool stuff that takes place in the um, emergency room she works in, by the way. Um, it's often not like super plot relevant, but it's really, really fucking good and really interesting. Um, like digitally disimpacting people. That's where you put your finger up someone's butt to move their poops along. Um, so there's, yeah, there's not a whole lot about Appalachia and opioids and just the whole winter's bone deal with it. And that's probably for the best. You know, uh, we had that whole uh, hillbilly allergy thing, and the hillbillies are West Virginians, or they're supposed to be anyway. It's become a generic term for any kind of rural American. It's even used people in Canada, even people in Saskatchewan, where it's, there are literally no hills. And um, But the hills are um, the, the Blue Ridges. Yeah, they're, they're what uh, Twilight Fawn and I was singing about. Then that's where hillbillies come from. Uh, yeah, hillbilly elegy kind of did some dirt on them. I haven't read that book myself. I've just read people's takes on it, and uh, not good. Um, by the way, if uh, you're looking for another podcast, uh, which you shouldn't be, it's just just listen to this one and nothing else. But if you want to stray a little in order to make your love of me that much stronger. Uh, listen to Trillbilly Workers Party. This is really good uh, leftist West Virginian podcast, and everyone in it has a super nice voice. Uh, the two two guys and a girl. Two guys both sound like Matthew McConaughey in various degrees of uh, sleeplessness. Uh, the girl sounds kind of like uh, Reese Witherspoon in um, What the Line, and uh, yeah, just love their voices. Um, I really wish I could I could focus my brain on making the prose in the Sarah book sound like uh, sound like that, but um, no, my my brain wasn't doing it. I, I had a few beers while drinking this book. I was, I was kind of method acting it, and it turned out to be to the detriment of um, my enjoyment of it. Um, I'm having a beer right now. I'm I'm not buzzed or anything. Um, it's a, a Village Brewery Squeeze. It's a lemon berry hells, hellas. It's kind of nice. Village Brewery. Really, those guys, they're, they're Calgary based, so don't go looking for them in your local area. They're kind of kicking a lot of ass beer wise lately. And we've had this like big influx of um, microbreweries. Like every other place is a microbrewery nowadays because there's been some sort of like tax incentive to be a microbrewery. Uh, so we get a lot of a lot of good beer up here right now. If you like if you like your beers, um, come on up. I know uh, Panopticon, uh, the fellow I mentioned earlier, 
really, really amazing black metal project. Uh, he's also a brewer, brewmaster. He makes beers. And um, what was I? Okay, dirt bags. Um, that's what I was going to talk about. So <laughs> I'm going to just be recommending other podcasts here. Uh, Dead Pundit Society by um, Adam Proctor. It's another good uh, kind of general lefty discussion podcast. He'll have a someone on the show like I don't know, Adolf Reed or some activist or writer and uh, talks to them for an hour and then we're good and done. And it's a really good show. And he had on um, Angela Nagel who wrote uh, Kill All Normies. Great title. Pretty decent book. It was, there was some uh, bad copy editing in that one, at least in the review copy I got. I did a review for it for uh, Queen Mom's Tea House. Um, and there's a whole, I could go on about that book for a long time. But um, also had uh, Amber Ailey Frost from, um, mostly known for Chapo Trap House. She's the girl one. And uh, she does the Agony Art column in The Baffler. And um, yeah, he, Adam Proctor's uh, kind of, not catchphrase, but uh, something he talks about a lot is building socialism for regular ass people. And that kind of ties in really nicely with um, Miss Nagel and Miss Ailey Frost's uh, kind of designation as being part of the dirtbag left. That was in quotes. Um, Miss Frost uh, came up with the title to describe kind of Chapo's deal. So the dirtbag left, I mean, it's a, it's a contentious term and um, it's definitely less contentious than the term alt left, uh, which is absolutely terrible. And I'd much rather be a dirtbag than anything alt, whether it's alt right or alt country. Um, yeah, fuck both Richard Spencer and Sun Kill Moon. Whoever's, whoever's old country, I don't know. But, um, is it Dixie Chicks? They all old country, I don't know. But, um, yeah, Dirtbag Left. It's a term for leftists who tend to be young, uh, tend to be very online, not through some sort of, like, uh, techno-utopian boing boing Cory Doctorow ELF kind of uh, reason to be online it's just you know there's not a lot going on and you can pay 40 bucks for an internet connection and buy a cheap laptop and you've pretty much got a uh, entertainment forever and yeah people they don't tend to be too wealthy um, I obviously chapper guys are with their Patreon bucks but um, but that's happened pretty recently, and um, in the interview, uh, Miss Frost speaks about you know, having to shoplift even a few years ago, and how it, she's just gone to a point where she's monetarily okay, and I've kind of got to that point too. For a long ass time, I was I don't know if poverty is the right word, but. There's a lot of uh, ramen in my past. There's uh, the place I used to live in London. 
it was in Islington, like, like really, really swanky borough, and a lot of money there. But um, the place I lived, City Road, shout out, um, it was above like a, a porn theatre, like a literal porn theatre. I didn't even know these things still existed. And a Greek restaurant that used to play like this terrifying atonal music. I mean, not like Shostakovich kind of atonal music, but like stuff written in a meter that is not the one used in most Western music and therefore sounds like crazy alien screeching. And they played up to like 4 a.m. on weekdays when I had to work. And I worked for the biggest cunt in the universe. And that's only just managed to turn that around, you know? And I still have months where, you know, it'll be like the 25th, I'll go to pay for like an energy drink, which is a major dirtbag thing to drink, by the way. And, you know, my card will get declined. You know, and I, I got a fairly okay job. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel like a dirtbag a lot of the time. I, I sit on the bus listening to other people's podcasts. I feel like total piece of shit because there's 21 year olds driving past in their charges to their oil field job you know I feel there's a lot of ways that you can be made to feel like a dirtbag and, and my friends who do like are like college professors like Scott McClanahan PhDs like half my friends are, have are doctors of something usually literature or music or something and they feel the same. You know, academic wages are shitty, and they're dirtbags. You know, we'll get together and you know, buy some crap booze from a corner store. And you remember that show Mad Men? There was a a line that stuck to me from like really early on in that, where uh, the character Pete Campbell. Um, he's like the asshole, he's kind of almost the villain of the, of the show. Uh, he talks about being 26 years old and he's not, he's pissed off that he's not the partner in an advertising agency. And he's got a house, he's got a wife, and that wife is Alison Brie, so that's like a quality ass wife. And um, yeah, he's 26 and he's pissed that he's not, doesn't own a quarter of a major New York advertising firm. You know, that, that stuff with me is just pissing me off because I was 26 at the time I guess maybe even maybe even older and yeah I just the idea that that there's this like other life that was once possible where 26 year olds could be pissed off that they're not one quarter of Sterling Ar I was gonna say Sterling Archer um there's <laughs> not the advertising agency from Mad Men um, yeah, still in whatever it is in the Mad Men, you know? Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, that whole world was once possible. And I was like, uh, my parents did that. They, they were nobodies. They were from places like West Virginia, the British, or Welsh rather, equivalents of them. It's like mining towns and being gutted by neoliberalism, and there were no jobs left. And everything was gone to shit because of Margaret Thatcher, 
can't. Glad she's dead. Um, hope she's in hell. Hope there is just a hell for Margaret Thatcher. And um, yeah, they were from places like the place Scott McClanahan's from, and they got jobs and stuck with those jobs forever. Didn't like move around ten jobs like I have. And they have a BMW now and a nice place and a fucking yacht. I mean, they're like, you know, doing up the yacht. It's not like they bought it new or anything, but it's still a fucking yacht. They got a yacht. I'll never have a yacht. Like, there's literally no yachts in my future. There's probably no car. There's very unlikely to be a house. Unless I buy, like, um, I have literally, this is how dirtbag I am, I have literally looked at caves as a possible uh, housing situation. Situation for myself. You can go on. There's like specialist sites that, that sell like weird properties around the world, like tree houses. And Italy has a lot of caves. A uh, lo lot of good caves. They're like former pasta sellers or something. I don't know. Like everyone puts their pasta in it and then someone steals it. And they're like, somebody took my spaghetti. And, um, yeah, th those are all cleared out now because they have much um, more secure spaghetti um, installations now. And I've yeah, I've thought about living in a cave like a fucking orc. You know, that's a level of dirtbaggery that I'm, be I'm in a, a country where I don't speak the language and probably wouldn't be able to get a job just because that is a would be a more economical solution than living in London. You know, like. People who, there's no reason that me and my friends and Amber Ailey Frost and people, all these dirtbags in the world, uh, there's no reason why we can't have okay lives. You know, we're not asking for much. It, it used to be that way. Nothing really changed. It wasn't like a made. There wasn't a huge war between now and the 80s. That, that what technology has only gotten better. It hasn't. It's like technology regressed and now we have to like spin cotton by hand. It's, you know, there's no reason that shit can't be shared equally. And that's a thing that pisses me off with um, conservatives who, or anywhere, anyone on the right, gets pissed off when, when leftists have stuff like Bernie Sanders' $700 coat or the whole bullshit. Oh, but you call yourself a communist, and yet you've wrote this on an iPhone. Mm, logic, Ben Shapiro. And, uh, yeah, that pisses me off, because that's why we, we want stuff, you know? The Russian Revolution was sold to people on the promise of everyone having bread, and there would be department stores filled with cool stuff. And there's even... Uh, a book by um, John Gray, probably one of my favorite philosophers. I haven't seen his stuff in a while, but um, yeah, about how the Soviet Union was trying to conquer death. The, the reason Lenin's corpse is in is preserved is because they thought they were going to resurrect him with their amazing Soviet technology one day. They were going to go to the moon and Mars, and Lenin would be back and. 
yeah, they, they were going to make life incredible for everyone. It was going to be full luxury gay space communism for everyone. Um, and that's why full luxury gay space communism is the only r real true communism. Yeah, it, it's there's enough for everyone. It's just badly distributed. And also, I was at one point talking about the Sarah book. Uh, sorry, Raman has destroyed my brain. Ramen and having to get up at six in the morning and go on a bus and drink energy drinks to get by. Um, yeah, that 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 kind of stuff is missing from the Sarah book, and that's fine because it's a divorce procedural. It's about a divorce. It's not about his job, and I'm sure he could tell a, a big old story about his uh, academic career. I'm sure that's interesting. He'd be like stoner but good, because stoner sucks. And, um, yeah, I'm sure there's tons he could write about that. And I'm sure his place wasn't super nice and middle class. He has a car and he owns a house. But, uh, yeah, the, the economic side of life nowadays was kind of left out of the Sarah book. And that was a side of his, his dirtbaggery that we didn't see. Uh, you know, he, he was... He is referred to as being poor fair bit but he seem, he seems to be able to get stuff like i was thinking the other day I, i've i bought a six pack of beers like at the weekend and that was a major luxury get for me you know th these uh village squeezes nice by the way uh, that was a that was a treat yourself kind of day and uh that was 14 bucks of beer you know, I, I couldn't be an alcoholic if I wanted to. It would be monetarily impossible. I would come up to a point where I just wouldn't be able to pay for alcohol and I'd have to go cold turkey. Uh, Scott McClanahan doesn't seem to have that problem in, in the book. Maybe in real life he's... Yeah. I don't know what his real life is like. Uh, yeah, it's... You know, the Chemical consumption seems to be a pretty big part of being a dirtbag. And yet, money is so tight, and if you want to live in a place where there's anything like opportunities for you, or anything like culture, any reason to drink in a fun way as opposed to a depressing way, then you're not going to have enough money to do it. You know, like going out, getting drunk, that's like a distant, distant memory. Like, even like Goodwill Hunting. Another film about dirtbags, not leftist dirtbags, like centrist dirtbags. Yeah, those guys were like, were they like warehouse workers or something? Docklet? Steve Dawes? I don't know. But they could go to their bar every night of the week and get wrecked. And go to their work hungover and get wrecked again. And I was working class life for a long time. That, who was who that possible for? Is it possible for you, dear listener? Is are people is are people around you able to do that? Like, if even though we we know it's a kind of shitty life, if you set out to do that, could you? You, you your parents could if they wanted. Your grandparents definitely could. And now, you know, we can't even have a shitty working class life. We can't waste our money on beer because it's we're just gonna go to pay and get told our credit card's been declined 
So yeah. So dirt bags. Um, they're a potential. They're, they're not like the the revolutionary class of the 21st century. And but there's there's a place for them. And with Bernie and and Jezza, the absolute boy. Uh, there's an increasing place for them because the want of a better word millennial uh, part of the the poor is growing and it's we've really gone to a point where we know we've been sold a bit of lies about capitalism delivering for us it's just not delivering and um, there was a really good article in Jacobin about uh, See, under neoliberalism, you can be your own tyrannical boss by Megan Day. It's um, it's about some uh, study that's shown the psychological effects of perfectionism. Recent generations of young people perceive that others are more demanding of them and are more demanding of others, and are more demanding of themselves, and it's killing people. You know, it's causing everyone has depression, everyone has anxiety, everyone's on Zannies and. Prozac and a million different other things right now. Like, I know very few people who aren't on something just to get by. That's the drug use we're doing. We're not getting wrecked in a bar every night. We're taking a pill in front of a bathroom mirror. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll link to this article in the show notes because it's uh, it's a good one to read as a counterpoint to um, as a, yeah as a counterpoint to the to the dirtbag thing because. The dirtbags are the people who perhaps aren't as into the whole uh, neoliberal meritocracy as others, and who realise that we've been cheated. It's uh, production, productivity gains have gone to all the wrong people. Uh, it's only possible to make huge, stupid money by developing some bullshit app that destroys the wealth of millions of people to funnel it to a bunch of 21 year olds uh, like uber and I, i've used uber for the first time in the last few days and i hate doing it and yet i can't not do it because taxis are too expensive so thanks uber same for amazon i don't i want to buy everything from uh from my local independent bookstore and i i did buy sarah book from um uh what was it pages or somewhere in or first first books or some uh, someplace in Calgary. That's the only two bookstores in Calgary. It's a city of one and a half million people, but there are two bookstores that aren't um, chapters. But uh, yeah, we we know that we've got um, we've been given this bill of lies, and there's a um, interesting paragraph in this article about uh, call-out culture because the dirtbag left is very well is critical of this kind of uh, like wokeocracy this kind of like call out bullshit that happens every time someone slips up or they uh, they said retard once in 2007 so now they don't get to be anything and they have to just go to a cave and flee and die you know that that kind of call out culture which is everywhere, and it's uh, happening to Chelsea Manning of all people right now, who you think has earned her uh, a little reprieve. Um, 
but yeah, this perfectionism has come has come out in the left as well. Instead of being a striving yuppie CrossFit clean eating douche, you're on Twitter telling people to check their privilege. And um, the dirtbag left is the people who, the, well, definitely on Twitter, um, but don't give too much of a shit about that, you know? You can say, bruh, like you're in a rap, but no one's going to tell you that you're appropriating anything. And um, the dirtbag left are the people who have rejected neoliberal perfectionism in both its left and right forms. And that's what pisses people off. Because you know, we, we can play our left and right games, but we can't say the whole game is fucked and we have, have no long we no longer want to play and we're taking our ball and going home. You know? We it's we can say whatever we want within the Overton window, but we can't break the Overton window. We can't just say everything is kinda of bullshit right now. And um that pisses everyone off. Yeah, I've seen alt-right guys talk about the dirtbag left, or the alt-left as they call them, to try and draw some like false equivalents between them and uh, us. And um, yeah, it's yeah, people who reject meritocracy, I think, are what I put into the, the dirtbag category. And I think from the Sarah book, uh, Scott McClanahan, the character, has definitely done that. He is willing to live in a Walmart parking lot, drink crap, go to a strip club, kill himself with Tylenol, look at crappy porn. Um, yeah, he's he's a total dirtbag. He's not gonna do CrossFit and Bikram. He's not gonna write an app. He's just a dirtbag. And that's good. And I'd like to see him I'd see him go political with that. I'd see him connect this kind of thing to the world at large. Uh, he, his interviews, he seems to be, seems to be kind of getting there. And I, I want to see him, I want to see him go all the way. Scott McClanahan, go on, come town. Uh, okay, let's do another Twilight Fauna uh, because I don't know any other Appalachian bands and. Even if I did, Twilight Fauna would still be the best one. Let's play Falling Portraits. That's the second song of um, The Year the Stars Fell. And I kind of like that, uh, the resonance that Falling Portraits has with the Sarah book. You know, kind of like, you can imagine like a divorcing couple having a, like one final terrible, terrible fight. And all the family portraits are falling on the mantelpiece. Maybe that's what the song's written about. I doubt it though. It's probably just a really awesome, great song. So listen to Twilight Fauna. They're on no record label, and they don't need to be, because that's fine. Uh, they're from Johnson City, Tennessee, at least they are now. And yeah, check them out. And I'll be. I, I want to do a. Um, my next show, a little tribute episode to Ursula Kayla Gwynn, because uh, she was a big, big influence on me growing up. 
um, Dispossessed, Lave of Heaven, and Always Coming Home, which is kind of one of her more obscure ones, but it's really amazing. I want to talk about that one. Um, yeah, she's she's amazing. R.I.P. her, and I want to talk about her. Maybe get some people on and uh, have a big old big old cry about that. Uh, so, but first, let's listen to some Twilight Fauna. Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Do the whole rate me and. Uh, subscribe to my channel, whatever people do, do all those things. Um, not that I care because I reject neoliberal meritocracy. Here's Twilight Fauna. <laughs> 